Welcome to the Wellness for Educators podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Kennedy. Welcome and thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. We are grateful today to have Vicki Williams with us. Vicki Williams leads the educational services branch of Big Bear Bespoke Education. As a teacher with 17 years experience currently teaching at Aaron Court, a specialist provision for students with a diagnosis of social, emotional, and mental health difficulties, and as a foster carer, Vicki has postgraduate qualifications in managing social, emotional, and mental health in education, and the advanced study of social, emotional, and mental health, leaving her well-qualified to provide inset training and consultancy work for schools. Her particular areas of interest include attachment disorders, anxiety, and teacher education. Vicki also writes for the TES on the subject of mental health and education. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Vicki. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So let's jump into our questions. What made you become an educator? Talk a little bit about your journey to becoming an educator, as well as the different roles that you've played in places you've worked. Um, I always wanted to be a teacher. Right back as far as I can remember. I remember starting work experience when I was at school, I was about 14, and I wanted to go and work in a school. Um, I trained originally as a PE teacher. And then I moved into dance, drama and performing arts. And I taught dance and performing arts for 15 years. I really enjoyed building up that relationship I think you can have as a practical teacher with the students. I really like just getting to know them and understanding them and getting to know their parents. And I stayed in the same school for 15 years. So I had known, I'd had the point where I had, Miss, you taught my mum. I was like, yes, it's true. But budgets in school were being cut and schools were being much much more driven by results and it became all about the results even the school i was in who had a fantastic pastoral system were being driven towards results and money was being taken away from the pastoral care and pushed towards a results driven program and i say they did everything they could in the school i was in but it's the external pressure for exam results and results at all costs that takes away from looking after the children's mental health and there was very very little we could do and the more that happened the more I wanted to go and work with mental health difficulties and have the time to work with mental health and I considered coming out of teaching actually altogether and looked at going to work for social services or in children's services where I could focus on mental health rather than teaching at the same time I'd become a foster carer so I was much much more aware of children's mental health needs, looking at attachment, trauma, anxiety. So I started doing a master's in combining the two in managing social, emotional, mental health and education. And the more I did of that, the more interested I was in how you could bring the mental health focus into education and combine the two. I started doing some volunteer work in the school I was working in. I was working part time and I started doing some extra time for free for them, working with the mental health team just to increase my experience and actually see what I could bring back. And the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. And I just wanted to keep doing it. And then the job I currently have at Aaron Court came up and they were looking for a teacher to work with children of a diagnosis with mental health difficulties. 
and it is just an amazing school. I am now working on the leadership team in that school and I'm working for Big Bear Bespoke Education Consultancy who run the school and I'm able to combine everything I wanted to do. I can combine teaching with the mental health side. That's so exciting that you, your path just really brought you to exactly what you're so passionate about. Um, so exciting to hear that and that you're able to really use all of the many tools and strategies that you've brought together um, to really help um, those, those students um, that you work with, as well as the colleagues that you work with too. So um, what are the age ranges for the students that you're working with currently? Um, our students are 11 to 17 and then we have a college provision attached as well for students who go to college but would struggle socially and mentally with being at college. They are registered on a college course but they also come to us in addition for help with their social skills, some of them help with life skills and we will have them up to the age of 25 if they need to be. Wonderful. And I know the, the last time we talked, you talked a little bit about the model that your school follows and you just started talking a little bit about that, but could you talk overall like what that model is and how it really focuses on student well-being? It's, our ethos is mental health before academic learning. If students are going to learn, they need to feel happy and safe. If they don't feel happy and safe, there is no point forcing academic learning on them because it's not going to help. So we spend time working on their mental health and working on their social skills until they are at a point where they're ready to start some academic learning. And we found that when you take the time to do that, and it does sometimes feel like a long time and you worry that you're not going to get any academic progress at all, but it's about building the foundations. And when you've built the foundation successfully, actually the academic progress happens really quickly. I mean, we work, we have a clinical psychologist, we have a speech and language therapist, an occupational therapist, we have psychotherapists, we have um, SFC coaches. Um, we are all qualified in back and head massage, and it's all about the holistic system and working on the person as a whole and making sure they feel better before we then start the academics. We're then in a good position to start academic learning. And as teachers, although we have the therapy team, we are also qualified in coaching to make sure we can continue those mental health conversations throughout the academic lessons when they are ready. And we start very much, we always do English and maths in the morning. And they do that in very small tuition groups of about three or four. And in the afternoon, we go on to independent learning and we encourage them all to do independent projects in an area they're interested in. I've got students who are doing hair and beauty. We've got other students who do coding. I've got one doing photography at the moment. And they all have their own area of interest. And we also try as much as we possibly can to push the importance of physical activity for mental health. And we try and get out on walks. We were out last week on a walk up to the goats and the horses. And our students love stopping with the animals. We have a therapy dog and a therapy rabbit at school. And watching some of these students with the animals, they are a different person when you put the rabbit on the lap. It's absolutely amazing to watch. But we spend a lot of time building their social skills and talking and encouraging them to talk, building real world skills. Things like we run, we take them all out and help them get on the bus. And we show them how to get on the bus and order their bus ticket. We practice taking them to the shop 
and them having money and them spending money and making sure they're getting the correct change and all the really basic life skills that they need to build up in order to build their confidence. Wonderful. And so you talked a little bit about the strategies that are there for the students, but I know we also talked a little bit about how the faculty and staff are supported as well, because obviously you, you need to be feeling that you're taking care of your own well-being to be most there for your students or be the best that you can be for your students. So what kind of model is there for staff and faculty well-being? We all have regular supervision with a clinical psychologist if we wish to. Um, we are a very, very small team who are very, very close. We talk a lot. We have usually half an hour first thing in the morning just to discuss what's going to happen in the day, what happened yesterday, the students, any concerns anybody's got, anybody who wants to talk through anything. We very often have people saying, oh, I'm really struggling with so-and-so. Can I come and watch you work with them? Because actually you work with them really well. And it's very much a supportive atmosphere where we work together to get the best for the students and the best for ourselves. I mean, we have time for planning and research and discussion. We spend an afternoon a week looking at current research and how we can use current research to support ourselves and support our own practice. Work-life balance is very carefully monitored by the senior leadership team. It is very important that staff can offload when they need to. Because sometimes you can be in a situation that is very, very uncomfortable. And you can quite often think, I've, I've got that wrong. I've dealt with that really badly. And actually, you, there is always somebody there to go and talk it through with. And we'll go and say either, no, you did the best you could in that situation. Or maybe next time we could try X, Y or Z. It's a very, very non-judgmental atmosphere. Everybody knows that all the staff are there for the benefit of the children. We don't get things right all the time but there is very much a culture of support and no blame and no judgment. And you do very much feel like you're part of the team. That's wonderful. It sounds so supportive and that's so important, especially when um, you want to make sure again, that you're there hundred percent for your students, um, that you have people who you can lean on for support and guidance uh, and mentoring. It's, it's just a great, a great support system. Can you talk a little bit about the shifts that you had to make with your faculty and students when it came to COVID um, in the past, you know, four or five months or so or more, um, both for at school, for educators and students and caregivers and what you did when everybody was at home as well? We sat down and sorted out our policies for COVID never really thinking it was going to happen we had everything in place and we were thinking we'll get this sorted we taught the students how to use google classroom and how to access online learning and we were very lucky that we had two weeks where we could be with them in school going through the process so that actually when it did happen we were ready to go and we knew for a fact all students knew how to access it and everybody knew what to do online we had had time to do help sheets to the parents so they could get onto google classroom and support their children we learned a lot very, very quickly. Um, we learned that there was very little point to long tasks on Google Classroom. It was all about the quick win. Short, sharp tasks that students could do went down much, much better. Tasks with closed answers went down much better and were much more likely to be completed. I set lots of PSHE challenges 
So, and it would be things that are very simple. And again, about thinking about their emotional development, I would set things like, you've got a choice of two challenges today. You either have to make a cup of tea for somebody in your house, or you have to write about your favorite song and how it makes you feel. And actually take up for tasks like that was huge. We used Zoom a lot. And not necessarily just for academic purposes, but sometimes just to be on Zoom and the students be able to see your face while they're working. And it would almost be, rather than teaching, it would be like set up in a classroom. And you would just chat to them as they worked. And I could almost sit and work and they would sit and work and occasionally they'd ask a question or it wasn't the intense one-to-one -one session that a Zoom could be. It was just having somebody there to chat with. And again, we chatted a lot about how they felt a lot of students aren't comfortable to have their face shown on Zoom. So we would sit with our video up, but they would have their video off and just their audio so we could talk to them that way. Quite often they would want to screen share with us and they'd show us what they were working on or they would show us a computer game they'd played or they could show us what they'd done and what they'd worked on. We spent a lot of time showing off pets and everybody compared their various cats and dogs on Zoom. And it just made things much more relaxed and much more personal. And to parents, we did welfare calls three times a week just to find out how things were going. And actually, you could then get a much more complete picture, especially if you'd spoken to the student yourself during the week. And then we've been able to speak to parents. We could get this full holistic picture of what life was actually like as well. We would run specific sessions online as well as the academic. The clinical psychologist was running one to one therapy. We had sessions that were knit and natter sessions for our crafters. We've got some students who love knitting and sewing and the head teacher would go online with them and they would knit, sew and crochet together and have a chat. We had a parent support group online where all the parents could just come on and discuss their experiences with each other. And I think that helped a lot of parents feel less isolated and they realised that the problems they were having were actually shared with quite often the entire parent body and many of the staff. We sent out boxes to each student twice during the big lockdown. We sent out boxes that were full of things that they liked to do. So we sent out cookbooks to some students. We sent out modelling sets to other students. Somebody was set up mental puzzles and we tried to make sure that what went out to them reflected their interests. Every family got a weekly fruit and veg box from a local farm. So we've got some students that are very interested in cooking who just loved getting their fruit and veg every week and trying to work out what they could do with it and how they could do it. It was, again, very much the focus, even online, was on their mental health first and then the academic learning came second. It got done, but the real focus was how they were that day and then we would work out from how they were feeling as to how much we could push the academic side. Yeah, it's just like you said, they have to have that foundation of feeling happy and safe before they can even attempt to start doing that academic side of things. Have you talked a lot to maybe some of the people that you worked when you were in mainstream school and, and kind of compared notes as to their experience with the lockdown versus what you've seen um, with the model that you're in right now? Yes, I have. And I think because we are a much smaller setting with just 20 students, we have been able to have a much, much more personal experience. And it's not possible in a mainstream of a thousand children to have a one to one Zoom with them and to just sit and chat with them while they work. It's just not practical. Again, phoning parents, 
it's very easy for us to phone every parent three times a week and talk to them much much more difficult in a larger setting we also know our students incredibly well so you can read between the lines which again more difficult to do if you've got a parent in a mainstream school saying yep yeah, everything's fine sometimes you won't look any further we know these parents and you know that if they say everything's fine that actually you need to look further into it and do you think that there's anything from your model that could really work well for mainstream that they might not be doing right now i think the fear with mainstream is that they will go back into a catch-up curriculum and they will feel the pressure and it is an external pressure that they will feel the external pressure that they need to get results again next year and that students have missed a huge amount of learning and that that needs to be caught up as quickly as possible and for some students they will have had a lovely lockdown and they will be ready to learn when they go back but there will be a lot of students where things have gone on that they may not be ready to express to school or the school may not know about and actually a much much more gentle approach will be needed to start off with and there will need to be a recovery curriculum in place rather than just a catch-up curriculum. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, the schools that are focusing, like you said, more on the academic side of things. And I think the gaps that students will have and um, not really thinking that, again, that foundation that you mentioned needs to be there before they can even attempt to start to learn. And, and also just all of the supports that you typically get for students who are in school that you might not be able to replicate, you know, in a, in a, a virtual way uh, is, is difficult too. So, so can you talk a little bit about the shift that you've made personally to help you stay well and also maybe some of the tips and strategies that your faculty uh, maintain as well as maybe your students and caregivers what has really helped you and them stay grounded and available for all of the different stakeholders that you work with? Um, I think it was really difficult to start with because obviously as a teacher, you don't work from home. Well, you work a lot at home, but working from home is an entirely unknown to us. And actually it became quite difficult to know where the boundary between work and home was and the temptation just to leave the laptop on all the time and respond to things at all times. And it was not knowing when the end of the day was. And actually I had to learn quite quickly that I had to be quite strict with myself because I was also home educating my two children at the time. That I had to have times when I could be online and times when I couldn't. And my school students do need a fairly instant response. If they've done some work, I want them to know that I am there for them and I am with them and I am responding to what they've done. So it was a case of going, right, you know, it's six o'clock now. I need to turn off and I need to focus on my family now. And I need to switch off from what is happening at work. My lessons for tomorrow are prepared and it's okay to stop because I think I could have carried on and almost ended up working 24 seven if I hadn't been quite strict about it. I was also really strict with myself that I did my daily exercise. There was a few months there where we were allowed out once a day and I did make sure I went out every day for, for an hour and did the maximum that I was possibly allowed to do and I would do that with my phone either off or on silent and that way nobody could disturb me nobody could get to me for that hour that was my time um, I bought a sketchbook as well actually at the start I bought myself and both my children sketchbooks and we've sat with YouTube up 
and we've done a lot of the learn to draw videos and actually I found that really quite therapeutic and thoroughly enjoyable I'm not a great artist I will never be a great artist but actually just to do something different and engage my brain in a different way and actually to learn to do something new myself rather than teaching somebody else how to do something new to actually sit there as the student I found really really helpful the other thing we've done a lot is we have talked at work we've had our online virtual staff room we've had zoom staff room coffees and actually we've talked about how we're finding it and how the students are finding it and the interactions we've had with the students and again we've all boosted each other when somebody's admitted to uh, they're finding something very hard everybody else was saying yep yeah, so have i me too and i think we're all very careful not to present ourselves as having had the perfect lockdown as soon as you admit that you found something very difficult and sometimes admitting it for the first time is really hard but as soon as you admit that you found something really hard everybody else follows and it's very much a supportive atmosphere we've got yeah i feel like there's a there's a sense of vulnerability that you get in that kind of a reflective space and i i think it's um an amazing opportunity for everybody to just feel like i am not alone in this because like you were saying before it's like easily easy to feel isolated no matter what stakeholder that might be, whether it be the students kind of identifying with themselves and then also identifying with you as faculty members, like, oh my gosh, you know, Mrs. Williams actually, you know, had struggling, like struggled through this too. It wasn't just me. And um, so I think it, it's really awesome to know that you can have those types of vulnerable conversations with, with everybody that you work with. And so the last question that I have is about what are some strategies and tips that you have for educators who are either getting ready to return to school online or hybrid or and total in-school experience um, when it comes to maintaining their well-being for themselves, their colleagues, and their students? What are those tips and strategies that either you have or that you've learned from others? I think a lot of it is remembering that everybody has had a unique experience. This hasn't been the same for anybody. Some students will have looked forward to going back to school continually. Others will be absolutely terrified at the thought of going back. They've been told that the outside world is a dangerous place. And they've been told that by the people they listen to, by the parents. And suddenly being told, no, go back to school with your whole class, it's fine, is huge for them. And there's going to be lots of students that have a level of separation anxiety, being away from their parents for the first time in months. And those anxieties are likely to come out in different ways. It might be the typically anxious child in the classroom, but equally it might be the really angry child or the child that is suddenly throwing things. And I think it's important to address the reason behind the behaviour rather than the behaviour itself. And about including a child rather than excluding them and sitting them outside the room how can you keep them in the room and encourage them to stay with you and then to talk about what's worrying them because nine times out of ten what's really going on isn't that behavior itself there's a definite reason behind the behavior i think for teachers it, again it's very difficult some teachers will be very worried about going back to work we've been at home for months on our own suddenly some teachers at secondary are going to stand in front of a different class of 30 five times a day which obviously massively increases the risk of catching something 
And I think it's taking every precaution and then remembering to keep time for yourself. I think teachers as a whole tend to be very poor in remembering themselves when it comes to being at school. They will go in, they will do the job, they will come home, they will carry on worrying about the job, they will carry on planning, and then they go back to school the next day. I think especially at the moment, it's really important to take some time for yourself to do something that makes you happy. And that isn't at all selfish, it's vital. And it might be having a bath or going for a run or reading a book or playing a game with your kids, but it's about doing something just for you and you as a person, not you as a teacher. Those are right on. I think um, especially the idea of taking care of yourself so that you can be there fully for others is, is, is very, very important, especially right now with everything that we're going through. So do you have anything else that you feel like we haven't talked about that you would really like to share before we, we close out today's session? I don't think so. I think it is just that importance of taking things slowly and looking after children's mental health and their happiness before focusing on any kind of academic catch-up. Great. Well, thank you so much, Vicki. I really appreciate your taking the time to join us today and to share your experiences and expertise with us and the rest of our listeners. And I look forward to having you on again very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for more episodes of Wellness for Educators podcast.